Welcome to Cosmic Crit. This is Patrick talking to you, welcoming you back for another week's episode of your favorite Starfinder actual play podcast. Happy Turkey Day to our American listeners out there. We hope from our podcast family to yours that you'll have a great week ahead of you, filled with good food and spent with your loved ones and friends. We're taking off a week from playing Starfinder as the players and myself travel and spend time with those that we care about, but worry not, as we have already recorded an additional episode for next week, so we will not miss a week and get to continue on with book six. Speaking of the holidays, if you're looking to gear up or buy a podcast gift for one of your many loved ones, make sure to visit our merch store today and tomorrow, November 19th and 20th, if you use the code SHIRT18, S-H-I-R-T-18, you get an additional 20% off any t-shirt that you buy. And if you're listening to this after the sale, they crop up all the time, so if you want to stay on top of the sales, follow us on Twitter or Facebook, and we announce them pretty often there. We appreciate every Critter that has gone so far as to pick up some Cosmic Crit merch as it helps us raise monies for prizes and giveaways, and we really want to keep doing that. This week's episode is a little different as we start book six. Uh, we're taking a trip back in time before the gateway opens up to talk about the characters and what they do to prepare themselves for what lies ahead of them. We hope you enjoy, and just a reminder that we have an interview with the author of book six, Stephen Radney McFarland, right after tonight's game. And you will not want to miss that. It was a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Stephen. Uh, so, without further ado, let's dive right into this week's episode entitled, Ah, Real Flashbacks. Last time on Cosmic Crypt. We've got to go back, Raimi! The crew finally squares off with their most dangerous nemesis yet. Oh, okay. So everyone has a jetpack now? Wait, are there two Alindras now? Alindra finally finds reconciliation with her long-lost sister, Feloria. Guys! Zaz is still alive! He has minor plot armor! In one final gambit, Zaz attempts to tear the planet in twain. Space tears apart to reveal the Stellar Degenerator. Bum bum bum! We did it! Right, guys? Man, nothing bad can ever happen now. Oh. An entire armada against us. Gotta love those odds. Bum bum bum. Episode commencing in three, two, one. Episode initiated. Greetings, warriors of light and fiends of the earth, and welcome to the final Criticy adventure here on the show. Welcome, my name is Patrick. I'm your GM here, your Garland Master of the Galaxy. This is Cosmic Crit. We're exploring the Overland map, looking to reignite the orbs of Earth, wind, fire, and water while grinding enough XP in order not to be underleveled. Joining me in this quest to banish Bahumet and topple Tiamat are my five friends in your adventuring party. To my left, the thief that has stolen all your MP to power his envoy abilities. It's Drew playing Mac Feldspar. My character's name is Thief. <laughs> to his left, a jack of all trades. This red mage has got it all in focus. It's Jabert playing Andis 147. Borp, borp, 
or whatever the catchphrase was. That's it. And across the digital table, the original Dark Mage casting fireballs into the ether. It's Miles playing Remy Quindar. Good evening. To his left, she's got a black belt in the Forbidden Solarian Monk Arts. It's Rebecca playing Alundra Vallis. Hello. And finally, to my right, the OG fighter that turned himself into a knight of Serenray. It's Tyler playing Adros Veronis. Smash good! Smash good! Hi. Tyler. <laughs> That's some old school Final Fantasy 1 references there for you folks. I couldn't oh, tell nice. if you were doing Final Fantasy or D&D. <laughs> yeah, me either. I was going to do the same. No, he talked about For a second, I thought you were doing Magic the Gathering. And then... <laughs> no, he talked, about, <laughs> he talked about Garland. He talked about the orbs and Bahamut and Tiamat. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that, all that's in D&D as well. It's probably all I, I, stolen I, for D&D. I, I or yeah. It's a joke. I know. Uh, uh, was it, though? Um, welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, it's episode yeah. 61. And the first episode of the last book in the Dead Sons AP. I am. Yeah. Tinkles. Did you all... Tinkles. Did you think you were going to make it? I'm not yeah. sure that we've made it. <laughs> <laughs> did you think you would survive the last episode? I... I did not think I was going to survive the last book, to be honest. There there was there was some really touch and go moments for a little bit. And as we were going hurling into the last battle without having any sort of real proper rest, I I, I was I was a little worried. Oh, yeah, it's going to it's going to be like that sometimes. Not time to take a nap. Yeah, yeah I, I got shot a lot. I was more worried about the hallway fights than than I think anything in this book. Just the back to back. No rest. Got to go. Got to go. Got to go. Mm-hmm. So what is the title of this last book? Empire of mm-hmm. Bones. Empire of Bones. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Before we get there, the, some of the GMs listening to this out there know that our end of book five was a little different than many of you players out there. If you've already gone through this or other GMs. And I think that's pretty much a, a major part of our show now is that your characters backstories and your histories all kind of get intermeshed with the 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 pre-written adventure path that we're playing. So sometimes that alters things a bit. Obviously, yeah, Sonros wasn't <laughs> in the, the AP. That's a character. He should be. Tyler made up, yeah. So I added in challenges and things like that to make it interesting, keep everyone on their toes. And if you've already I, I played the adventure. Those. Yeah, yeah. So this episode is going to be a little slower pace than the last couple. I saw, I apologize in advance. <laughs> we we gonna, thank you. Yeah, pump the brakes on the the breakneck speed. We've had a couple of very long episodes. But yeah, this episode, we're going to just reflect on your character changes at 11th level and talk about what happened before the end of the last episode in the days leading up to you hitting the button and opening the gateway of the 12 suns to reveal the stellar degenerator. What happened in those days, we'll, we'll find out. Immediately after that, though, we also have a crit bit with Stephen Radley McFarland, the author of, of Book 5 of Dead Sons. We get to ask him all the questions that uh, maybe mm-hmm. I couldn't answer or I wouldn't while you guys were playing. So, Yeah, like, why why so many shades? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Why, why so like, many shades? Like, who, why, do you, why, who do you think you are? And how do you think you can do these things to us? <laughs> Who invited you on the podcast? So wait, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to answer. Um, but yeah, first let's let's start this episode off right, and let's talk. Go through leveling up your characters to eleven. Pew, pew, pew. This podcast characters go to eleven. We really should have done a Spinal Tap intro. 
<laughs> you all got more XP than you needed to to level up to level 11. We off air did the math. You've changed your macros. You've added up your HP and RP and SP and all that. So uh, we al- allowed you guys to also in this time that you have break down your your gear that you found for UPBs and, and do some crafting for the next leg of the adventure. But let's let's talk about it all. I'm excited to yeah. hear what you guys got at level 11. What what new gear you got as well? Does anybody want to start? Uh, sure, I will. Miles. Uh, so I want to I want to split this into, into two things. The the first thing is is something new from the armory that I, I picked up. It's the Restless uh, Pineal Gland or Pineal Gland. What's that now? The, uh, the melatonin produced by a Restless Pineal Gland is supercharged with mystic energy. You need only two hours of sleep each day and this allows you to regain daily use abilities and slots, but you can't regain your daily abilities spell slots more than once a day. In addition, you gain a plus four enhancement bonus to saving throws against spells and other effects that would put you to sleep. Once per day, you can wake yourself from sleeping as a full action. So it's basically like you have a, a coffee IV drip in your spine. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Yes. But but it's <laughs> but it's more like, you know, when we take one of those short trips that we didn't get anything back, Miles might be able to because it's a shorter time for him to be able to get all of those spell slots back, well, which is a huge so, deal. Right, and and one thing that uh, Raimi had a, a huge problem with in the last book was running out of spells and not having any time to rest. So if there's a at least a two-hour point where he can sleep or something for two hours, he can get all the spells back. Just a reminder, I don't. it's not that sleep gives you your spells back. Right, you need only two hours of sleep each day and this allows you to regain your daily use abilities and slots. Yeah, you 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 need you need rest. That is a part of it, but you also can't cast more than your your allotment of spells. I think within a twenty four hour period. No, no, no um, yeah. I can, you can't you can't do it once more than once per day. But yeah. you can get your daily abilities spell slots uh, if you sleep for two hours. Yes, that is that is correct. So that basically uh, in, in old school Pathfinder makes you kind of into an elf like they don't need to rest much at all they enter like this meditation like an old old school to combine that with my magic hat which Mm. allows me to eternal spell which allows me to take one level one spell and make it a level zero spell which means endless magic missiles oh man oh really you're you're not gonna pick uh detect radiation and just do it all <laughs> the time or <laughs> nope which it's something that he used a lot of and again having a spell that he can at least do some sort of immediate damage is very useful uh, all the, all this is rea- basically reacting to what he went through uh, particularly most of the upgrades that I am I am getting is uh, undead related uh, picking up ghost armor as well as uh, the ghost killer fusion so that I don't have any pesky ghosts to worry about. <laughs> you ain't free to know ghosts. Well, Sh- Shades did a lot of, a lot of tr- uh, little, little damage to me last, last two books, really. So incorporeal creatures are no longer going to be as daunting as they were. Hopefully. Right, 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 right. Cool. Wow. All right. So you're installing uh, <laughs> some, some gear into your, I'm guessing that's head slot, the pineal gland. Mm-mm. And um, 
Awesome. So let, let's move on from Raimi, our Technomancer, to Drew. Drew, you ready to talk about Envoy level 11? Yeah, so the only sort of Envoy buff or Envoy ability uh, is Knack picks up another expertise talent. And I think I finally have a level where I get an expertise talent that I think is really going to benefit. Uh, I picked up Convincing Liar. And what this is, is it uses the bluff uh, skill. Mm. When you attempt a bluff check, you can choose not to roll your experience expertise die until later. So with expertise, you kind of have to decide whether you're going to roll it at the time or not. So I could say... I, I, with with convincing liar, I can hold off on rolling that expertise die until I find out whether I've passed the check or not. And then, if I find out whether I've passed or failed, I can either roll my expertise die and add it to the amount, or re-roll the initial check. But I don't get to use my expertise die at that point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that's a great great one, especially uh, now that you're using bluff all the time for uh, faint actions. Yes, uh, so clever faint, now that it's in my repertoire, uh, is going to hopefully help me get some some more faints out there. Yeah, I mean, it's great because, you know, if you roll a one, that you're not going to want to let that stand. (laughs) Anything will be better than that. But uh, I don't know, that might make some exciting things happen in the field. You're trying to faint a, a very powerful enemy and you don't know if you want to let that 10 stand or <laughs> try yeah. to re-roll get higher and 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 luckily we're above level nine so i can also just spend a resolve to re-roll the check and also add the expertise die to that if it, yeah if which it is also great so great ability fingers crossed we ought to have a lot more flat-footed chumps in this book <laughs> cool uh, um any any fun gear Beyond uh, that, uh, I, I bought a, a few things, but I think probably the, the thing I'm most excited about is an old Akatonian plan for a tail blade. So Nak ha- <laughs> is now wearing a tail blade, which is an operative weapon that is attached to his tail that doesn't do much damage, but basically makes him armed at all times. So mm. I can take advantage of some attacks of opportunity. I can flanking uh, buddies. Flanking buddies. You're the flanking buddy now. So yeah, you're going to be running up into melee range at all times now, right? I've I've had the mobility, uh, the mobility feat for several levels now. So yeah, Knack might be jumping in there, getting scrappy. Well, it's not too, too bad because one, you have pretty close range pistols and two if you can make an enemy flat-footed then they're not going to be able to get a deck of opportunity against you so hopefully that's all mm. in the plan but the, <laughs> we'll see what happens when the dice roll <laughs> let's move on from a knack to a tyler tyler let's talk about a dross at level 11 mm-hmm. he does some stuff that lets him hit people harder than normal yeah is this a big one for a soldier i mean i think so for every soldier, this level is significant because you get Soldier's Onslaught. Soldier's Onslaught is right. a class ability that lets you attack three times in the full attack action, but with a minus six penalty. If this sounds familiar, it's because Patrick basically abused it uh, using some very large bugs. Uh, who bas- They basically <laughs> had the same thing. Theirs was called Blade Barrage, but it is a, sim- it is a very... Very similar. Uh, <laughs> you, you should call this soldier slaughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Keep the alliteration. Yeah, there, there are a few classes I think that can eventually get a triple attack. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah. for the most part, most classes are kind of stuck with the the maximum full attack of 
two oh. attacks, but no, that's pretty big. I, I would say that's, that's a that's a big one. You, uh, less less big is a uh, gear boost that uh, is. I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm still debating a little bit, but I think I'm gonna go with anchoring Arcana. Hmm. But we'll see. What's what's that? Oh, uh, anchoring. Uh, thanks for asking, Patrick. <laughs> anchoring Arcana is. Well, you brought it up. <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> a gear boost you're like why that... why would you blindside me with this question patrick <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> on the podcast it's, it's 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 a it's an ability uh where as a full attack you can force a single target to make a will save or they can't move at all they can't they can't make a guarded step mm. they can't take a move action they're literally planted where they are for 1d4 rounds well uh, yeah and so my thought was you know, kind of my thoughts behind it was that uh i the feat I took at this level, uh, because I get one, is lunge, and I also have the swoop hammer now that Sonros has. So the swoop hammer already has reach, which allows me to attack at 10 feet. Lunge allows me to attack at 15 feet. So if I were to hit someone and plant them in the ground, I could then back up and hit this, you know, hit somebody without them being able to reach me. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that's, that is a possibility, and it might also be yeah. good for a spellcaster who's like, let oh, me right. move away from you so yeah, I can cast that's... these spells. Nah, you're just gonna sit here and take a, a thorough beating. <laughs> a thumping. <laughs> um, awesome. Any uh, any cool gear that, uh, that tons, absolutely oh, no. tons. Uh, we're going a lot of armor upgrades and uh, one biotech upgrade mm. and i'm i'm very excited for for all of them off the top of my head uh the main one that i'm excited about is the ability to become invisible oh, so if I'm, so, what, what? <laughs> so dross can be invisible now how how is that <laughs> yeah so as a standard action i can use an armor upgrade uh, uh it's from uh, alien archive 2 and uh, you saw it actually in action a little bit with the glass serpent this comes off of the glass serpent and uh you can spend a standard action to uh basically use the spell invisibility on yourself and it has 10 charges and each round that you're invisible consumes a charge okay let, let's go on from ed dross and talk to rebecca Oh, Rebecca, how is Alindra doing at level 11? She's doing okay. It wasn't a super exciting level for Solarians. I did get a couple new skills and uh, sidereal influence. So there's that. But mm -hmm. uh, I believe that during this, Alindra is spending a good bit of time in contemplation, trying to reach inside of herself and uh, get in touch with uh, Faluria, who is apparently uh, a part of her in some weird way and uh, really embrace those Graviton skills. And while she is doing this, uh, she's also crafting a very special item, uh, which is Earthbound Anklets. And I have to say, ever since the Armory came out and I found the Earthbound Anklets, I was like, that is what Alindra would wear. Like she would wear these anklet things, not mag boots or whatever. But <laughs> uh, I, I imagine that Alindra looks in her star map where um, the, the book that she always has with her and inside of it, um, she has some, you know, Ziploc bags of dirt that she, uh, like samples of, of soil from Kalathu 7. 
knowing that Feloria was imprisoned in some way on Kalathu 7. Um, she uses that to craft these uh, very delicate inklets mm. that she can wear and activate to um, change gravity. So um, if she's in zero G or a weird gravitational pull kind of scenario, she can activate the earthbound anklets and determine where gravity is and essentially be uh, tied to the, to the earth. So, or not the earth, whatever planet she's on. Tied or to surface. earth. <laughs> to, tied to um, some earth. I mean, I guess it is earthbound, right? Earthbound? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> it's, in the, uh, it's in the name. Yeah, it's in the name. It's in the name. Uh, so yeah, I, I was really excited about those. And then I also crafted a, is it a augment for regenerative mm-hmm. blood? Mm. So I've replaced my blood system, you know. No big deal. That, that's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like getting an oil change. It's, it's not that hard. <laughs> God, I, 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 <laughs> but that'll allow me to regain HP whenever I use an RP to either um, take a 10 minute rest or to stay in the fight. So if I were to mm. go down and use an RP to stay in the fight, I would also at the same time, rather than gain just one HP, I would actually gain 10 because I have a Mark II regenerative blood. So. Nice. So that, that's something that you can have done on the Drift Rider, and maybe it's a necessity. Maybe you have to have it done because you lost so much blood in the the previous fights. Very possible. Yeah. It's time to 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 upgrade. <laughs> awesome. I I can't wait to see that in action. Literal action. Let's finish off our level eleven chat by going to our mechanic friend Andis to Bert. What is happening? Level 11. When I picked the mechanic, I was, I was like, one of the things I was so excited about was a coordinated assault. And now that I'm here, it's, it's, it's probably the least exciting thing about this level. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Miracle Worker twice a day. I'm looking yeah, at it. A, yeah, second Miracle Worker is, oh is pretty huge. Yeah, this coordinated assault didn't quite work how I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's sort of ending up being like it's sort of not uh, sort of working into like the 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 super like gestalt of like computer genius master as much as I thought it would, but I'm uh, definitely going to get some use out of that extra use of miracle worker. Mm-hmm. Um, also, at level eleven, mechanics get a second exocortex mod and so um they get an expanded list to choose from so uh, i'm swapping out my mods for resistance and greater resistance of fire so Hmm. uh so i can maybe withstand some of those uh nuclear blasts a little better uh some of those alindra bombs that go off like (laughs) once a day (laughs) when you're hanging around alindra (laughs) <laughs> um, so I've got the, I've got that going for me, and then uh, as a feat, I went ahead and took deadly aim, so I can do some some real good shooting. Nice. So a, a, a total full body upgrade for for Andis one four seven. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I'm getting a seat a speed su- a suspension put in there too. Just uh, <laughs> just like just tune it up all the all the tighten up the lugs the and uh, yep. kicking the tires a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah, as far as as far as uh, gear goes, you know, I had sort of looking at a lot of credits to play with and craft with. Uh, probably the thing that I'm most excited to use is an item called the Explosive Defense Unit. What's that? 
That is plus two reflex against any explosions caused by weapons with the explosive weapon property. So Mm -hmm. grenades or like plasma casters or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so plus two into overdrive. Right. Yeah. It's sort of just like, well, I mean, so what it it really does is it sort of like, like throws up like a uh, sort of a, a force field grid to help you like help defend you against that. And the other fun thing that it does is you can load a grenade into it and then as a standard action just like explode <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh and like all that damage is like projected outward and it's not like you don't take any of it and so so it's like i've got my own little uh i've got my own little <laughs> so, solarian thing going on <laughs> and this is now booby trapped <laughs> right exactly. yeah so, yeah. so i went ahead and lo- i went ahead loaded with one of those uh temporal disruption grenades so <laughs> you've got hoping like i can uh a heart made of a time bomb now <laughs> right exactly i'm i'm uh taking a taking a page out of, out of the the cultists book and uh <laughs> just gonna slap one of those bad boys in there and uh if i get surrounded it's gonna be stun city so watch <laughs> out nerds <Come> on. <laughs> uh awesome you shouldn't have told me that plan now no one's touch andis again <laughs> no one's ever gonna <laughs> approach you far <laughs> Never get within Tony Pete. <laughs> um, right. So that is everybody. I think we're feeling good about level eleven to start off book six. Let's get right into it. Let's let's talk about this week, this week's adventure, and we're gonna start off uh, right where we left off last week. We see you all at the command center, gate one, and you're watching the gate way of the 12 suns open for the first time since it was sealed millennia ago. And then this huge swath of orbs fleet departs drift space and begins to descend upon the system and get this crystal clear image of you all just crestfallen. The scene kind of freezes and bright bold letters flash across one of the computer monitors, which you're, you're seeing this interstellar carnage play out on and four words pop up that read a few days earlier we're back to when you guys have defeated Faloria you guys get a, a, a much earned rest we're going to talk about what, what happens in that time a little, uh, little adventure here where we are kind of relaxing and this is you crafting leveling up um, becoming stronger Starfinders, warriors. Let's let's first start with Knack. Knack, like I said, this is a two or three day period here. What's Knack doing in that time? Well, he's probably continuing to look around this space just to see if there's anything else that that we left behind. Any no stone left unturned, no trap left untriggered. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just to see if he can find anything and. Uh, so Knack uh, remembers this place and remembers not necessarily getting a chance to look through everything, every nook and cranny, just gonna kind of look around and see if he can track down anything. No stone left unturned and something like that. Probably not going to find anything. Oh, no, you do find a stone, but it has already been overturned. Waste of time. You, you turned it over when you got to the planet the first time. He forgot, <laughs> you, you know. You found the top of a stone. <laughs> <laughs> And and honestly, con- thinking about the the position he is in with his his family and and 
reflecting on on what that means and 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 what his newfound role as kind of the the one to go out into the world and introduce his his family's company his corporation to to people and and what his role in all of this is you know this mm-hmm. this this gigantic weapon that in another life he would be trying to capture for his family to use on other things and now about to embark on a quest to End shut it. it down end it <laughs> shut it down shut I, it all down or i suppose thinking that he's already been a part of a quest to end it <laughs> well you you know that that brings up a good point you remember the last thing you, you spoke about with your father before you left eox is he asked you to to go on this mission and bring back any technologies that clan Feldspar can use and monopolize and and potentially you know something i think he he said drift rock like you know this ancient kish tech and you, you pull out of your cheek pouch an advanced disruption pistol that you picked up on the the other gateway uh facility and you know you haven't you haven't shot this bad boy too much it is the first time you did i think it was a critical miss because you're just so <laughs> unfamiliar with the kickback that it has it's a it's what a 3d6 pistol is that right i believe so that's pre-boosted yeah. so yeah and that is pretty pretty powerful even by pack standards is, is that something that knack would feel safe putting in your father's hands when all this is over that's gonna take some reflection mm-hmm. but probably Everyone gets their own disruption pistol if, uh, with with I like Max smiling face on it and like it's, thumbs it's, up. <laughs> it's got his, it's got a little a little sticker with his face and uh, it, it's it's one of those things where his his clan has always operated in the background and has mm-hmm. and has been kind of a shadow organization for centuries basically. So anything to to make that. To, to secure that power for for them would be certainly a help. And this is the first time that they've stepped out of the shadows really in, in a long, long time. So I don't know that he would have a problem giving them mm-hmm. this disruption technology just because he does care. As much as he cares about himself and his own personal well-being and wealth, he does have this tie to his family that he has always had, being a member of of the, I don't want to say royal family, because I don't know that that's uh, appropriate, but the, the head family, I guess, is the, uh, the, mm. the, the, the key. And, you know, you're he, like, you're like the goddies, right? <laughs> the goddies <laughs> of the diaspora. Yeah. So I, I don't know that he would have a problem with that, but he would but, have to make but sure. But not the stellar degenerator. <laughs> it's a, it's a little different having a weapon of mass destruction versus like having a big gun is nothing new in the packed worlds, the diaspora or <laughs> anywhere else, but having mm. a very big gun is so. Um, while you're kind of looking over the facility and turning over everything, maybe taking another look through the drift rider for traps. Zix flags you down, maybe relegated back to her her spot uh, on the, the the drift rider, and uh, wants to have a conversation with you. And, and you know, this is kind of the first time she's talked since she did see Zaz killed. But um, you know, she's calmed down. She's pretty hysterical at first. But she says, Nack, I, I know Zaz was pretty run, but he took care of me. And we've been out here for so long, I, I'd forgotten what it was like to be normal. But that cute little doggo, Princess Bree, helped to calm my nerves. 
Can I have the dog back, Mac? I think you're gonna have a fight with that one. Uh, Raimi's a, a little attached to to that beastie. Well, barring that, I, I would still... I want to help out. I, I know the ship got all banged up. I, I'd, I'd like to help with the repairs. And, you know, I hope maybe if that I do that, then your friends will maybe accept me a little bit more. And you all can give me a, a lift back to the packed worlds once you're all ready to go. I... I miss home. I, I miss my family back on Akaton. I know you've been through a lot. You, you lost your brother. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Family is... Well, family's family. But uh, let me talk to Alindra and Andis. Uh, see if they, they'll let you help out. I don't think they're going to give you access to any critical systems. You won't be working on weapons or shields, but maybe you can help us get a, get our ship back on its landing gear and uh, see if we can get off this planet. Well, what are we still doing here? Can't we just fix everything up and, and leave? Why, why are you all making weapons and and crafting armor? Well, the, the fight's not over yet. We we know that we've taken down the the cult. We we defeated Null Nine, and and basically you're all that's left of that organization, as far as we know. But there there's this isn't over. We we still haven't taken care of the Stellar Degenerator. This this big massive thing that. I don't. I don't know how much you knew about this thing when you were uh, doing what you were doing before, focusing on yeah. the, the robots and and all of that. But it's what the pink-haired lady was looking for. Is what Daz was helping her do. Well, once we're done, are we going back home? We'll make it there. Let's move on from Knack to talk to Raimi. Miles, how's Raimi doing? Post fights, post ordeals in the gateway. <laughs> well, I mean, after, you know, kind of healing up a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, he's he's feeling a little reflective. This is the first time I feel like he's really had to put everything in perspective since he left the Pact Worlds. And mm -hmm. so he's he's wanting to, I think, send a message back home mm -hmm. so, to, to his to his parents. Yeah. And that's something you can do. Um, you know, it, it, it's pretty fast to send a message to them like they would get it in uh, less than a week but it, it could take weeks to get anything back which is part of the problem being out in the, the vast he's he's not so concerned about getting anything back he's kind of mm -hmm. he's wanting to send them a message just he hasn't talked to them at all ever so, even since eox yeah, yeah so he so. kind of wanted to give them a a, a letter if you will mm -hmm. so doing that you actually have to get some technology that is more suited to your computer skills which means you have to go back to the the remains of the drift rider that is being repaired and as you get there you see the goblins on the the outside of the ship applying upbs i guess on uh, like a, a slather and just like melting them down to support <laughs> the metallic reinforcements on on the ship superstructure and uh when you get to the bridge though uh galara comes up and uh sends a a message to your personal computer to Wick and you know basically uh, Wick chimes in and says this is a message from Kindori seems like it was sent a, a few weeks back go ahead and play it Raimi in the few days since you have left Alluvion I have had word from Verses and thought you might like to know there have been several sting operations throughout the Ring of Nations it seems that the corpse fleet had not only infiltrated Quindar Industries, they also had several ties in ship manufacturing and arms deals all over the planet, including astral extractions and even 
Abadar Corps. It seems like a pretty major operation, and looks like the people like Ziravesh had used corporate espionage and bribery to fund their continual war for many years. I just thought you would like to know that the authorities are moving fast thanks to your efforts on Eox. I hope that your current mission is going well. May the gods speed your return, Raimi Kandori out. I mean, I, I, feel, I think Raimi definitely has a, a sense of vindication mm -hmm. that a lot of the, the forces that had aligned in his mind, uh, not necessarily against him, but had definitely, I guess, influenced the direction his life took. And it, it definitely, it, 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 I think it encourages him more to, to send a message to his parents. Mm -hmm. So, Miles, why don't you just go ahead and, and read exactly what Raimi would send, <clears throat> send back Hey, Mom. Dad, it's me. You're, you're little Ray. By now, you've probably met Lyanna. She's my... was... well, she's special to me. Zero Vesh got to her just like she did the two of you. Yeah, I know about Vesh and everything now. But Lyanna's gonna need your help. They really did a number on her. But just know that you can trust her and take care of her. I'm, I'm sending you this message because there's a chance, a good chance, that this may be the last time you hear from me. I don't know what information's reached the Pact Worlds, but Things aren't looking great out here in the black. There's this cult, the cult of the devourer, and uh, the the corpse fleet has something to do with them. And well, to make a long story short, I'm one of the few beings standing between them and certain cosmic destruction. I'm part of a crew now, Starfinders. And while we've overcome some pretty steep odds, we've not come across anything like this. You know me and my hopeless causes. Dad, I, I still carry those lucky dice he gave me before my first race, the green and purple ones. I'm going to need every bit of that look now. My team's pretty great, but, you know, anything can happen in the 11th hour, and I, I didn't want you to not know. I didn't want to I didn't want to miss the chance to tell you guys that I love you. I never stop. So just take care of each other, and don't lose hope. Watch the sky for me. Rami Quindar, signing off. So you, like, hit send, Galara. Make sure the communication gets out through all the, the gravitational waves still kind of rocking through the system. And, yeah, you, you know that they'll... They'll have it in a few days. Drift communication. It's uh, it is still kind of like a an unknown. But um, yeah, you, you just wonder what it's going to be like by the time you get back there. You know, the the message Kendori sent was weeks ago, and this will take weeks to get there. What uh, maybe basically, you know, he had not to difficulty, but I mean, he got hit pretty hard throughout the last book, and and with everything mounting up, he he's just he's being realistic that there's a possibility that. Uh, he or his crew won't make it out of this one. And so he wanted to send something to his parents so that, you know, they at least they know what happened and there's a little forgiveness there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's go from Raimi to Alindra. Now, Alindra, the previous day, something went very wrong with the gravitational powers of this world, the system universe nearly split itself in half and out of that your lost twin Faludria emerged and you were able to defeat her in, in combat since then what's what's Alindra been doing what's she been up to well as I mentioned before I think she's in a, a state of shock in in some ways but also just trying to reach inside of herself and and practice her meditation find balance I, I think that she sees a real opportunity here to see this not as an opportunity. It, I, I 
I think she would be tempted in him, in being so young to feel resentment for those who have lied to her. I mean, mm-hmm. surely Master Pasilar knew about this. Her parents certainly did. Why did no one tell her about this? But I think she's fighting against those urges and, and trying to be uh, use it as an opportunity to to grow in her solarian powers and and internalize this and and really take advantage of it, um, especially given the high stakes uh, right in front of her um, and whatever advantage Feluria and her powers and even if it's just inner strength that Alindra is finding within herself, anything she can do to to prepare for a fight against these these cosmic powers, um, Mm -hmm. I think she would try to harness that. So you have time to wander around the jungle here and it reminds you very much of the time that you did spend on Calithu 7, which I believe we've talked about was definitely a ancient Kishali constructed planetoid, very similar to the ones here in the system, whether it was a precursor to these planets or it came after, you don't know. But in in this time that you're spending here, the, the longer that you're on this planetoid, each morning you wake up and you definitely feel yourself becoming more powerful not really more powerful, but you're realizing that all the powers that you had before maybe were out of whack and now they're more balanced and you have like greater control over them. And you realize when you first got the powers back on Calithu 7 that they were one, only a small fraction of what they are now, but two, you know, you had no control over them compared to, to what you have at this moment. And you realize that, like Faluria, you know, you might have gained this power in feeling your own emotions out. Your your mind flashes to the bridge of the Drift Rider and angrily yelling orders at a dross, or the the feelings of fear you felt in fighting Zavra in the Foundry, the shame of nearly dying on Castravel, and the the pride you got after walking out of the jungle alive and going to the University of Cabaret, and all these like other emotions. That Faluria was feeling, you, you feel balanced in you. So every time you got angry, she was very calm. And every time you were scared, she was brave. And uh, having defeated her, it's kind of like everything has been even keel since then. But yeah, it seems like these experiences are what are turning you into a, a full-fledged Solarian. <laughs> now that you're here in this system, you feel all of it over again. Kind of like your power is just resetting. You can feel the tug of the the massive energy wells from the 12 stars. You've never been so close to so many stars before in your life. And then you can also feel these gravitational waves that are systematically shooting out of the controller moons and including the planet beneath you. And yeah, it just feels like, you know, you've arrived. You can tell that you are on the cusp of becoming something more like a, a living weapon. How How's Alindra, the person, <laughs> dealing dealing with those feelings. Yeah, I, I think that that's all part of her meditation. And I imagine her sitting in her captain's quarters with Zodi bouncing around and her in quiet com- contemplation, looking down at her wrist um, and seeing that tattoo and and realizing this is where, she, where she's meant to be, where she's almost destined to be. I think she feels a real sense of, of belonging and like she's in the right place and doing mm-hmm. the right thing um, for the first time in her life. You read some books because you're a giant nerd <laughs> in, the, in the last few months, you know, study the paths of balance described by Kasathan Salarians, both ancient and modern. 
And, you know, you've read about their finding balance and, and feeling like there is a, a sense of destiny in where you put yourself is exactly where you're supposed to be. And that didn't really make sense to you reading it before. But yeah, you're, you're getting the sense of the importance of where you are more and more, like every minute that passes on this uh, in this system. The other thing that you read about is these Solarians, they, they have the ability to bend space and time and create miniature suns and move faster than the speed of light and a host of other things that before seemed like pure fantasy. But now you realize that it's so quotidian. You can feel all these potential energies at your fingertips and it no longer can frighten you anymore. It just seems as obvious as, you know, day following night. And it's... It's something you can feel just like gravity. Like everyone just feels it and they know like what it is without having to, to think about it too much. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. We we take these things for granted, but she recognizes the, the real power in both light and gravity. And these things that are just a part of life uh, have so much potential and she actually sees that potential now. Do you think your crewmates understand what's happening to Alindra? I doubt it. And I, I was thinking, who of the crew would she confide in? I mean, after the dreaming pool, when she first saw Faloria, she didn't share that with anyone in the crew. It mm. Partly because she was in shock and didn't really know how to verbalize what she had uh, witnessed. But also, it, how do you explain that to someone and, and who you on the crew? You sound like a loon. Yeah, well, I mean, not only that, but who on the crew would, would be able to identify in some way because I was thinking, well, uh, I mean, Raimi has like... Max got a, a crazy sister. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, and Andis has a whole crazy that. family of other androids. Well, and I, I was I was thinking like Andis and with Null 9 and his... I mean, everyone has been uh, so recently wrapping up their own Business. personal dealings. Like, I, I, I don't know that she would feel comfortable confronting someone with her own. I, yeah, I just, I, I don't see it as being, feeling very natural for her to share this. And I mean, I'm not even sure that she has any interest in talking to her parents about it. I mean, like I say, mm -hmm. she's she's really focused on dealing with what's in her own mind and dealing with the conflict at hand. But I'm not sure she's really um, concerned about needing to share that with anyone. Um, I, I think it's a really internal struggle. And I think that that's, sort of Solarian in a way. Um, I mean, it's all about that internal struggle and finding that internal balance within yourself. So getting to level 11 is a lot of work for Solarian, but uh, just mechanically speaking after this, every level that you gain, I think you add one D six to your damage dice. It gets pretty insane after that. Oh, I hadn't even noticed that. That's crazy. Oh yeah. No, so that, that's what I was Solarians <laughs> trying to are bring broken. up. Is, like uh, <laughs> up until this point, it's, it's a slow climb to, to 46, but <laughs> by uh, the end of progression that we have, which is level 20, it's 12 D six. So it's like, Whoa. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to miss this character so much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let, let's move from Alindra now onto Andis. Andis, we find them getting done just sealing Null 9 in a containment unit on board the Drift Rider. After she perished in battle with you and your crew, you know, you still had kind of a, a mission to uphold, which is to somehow get her back to the, the Founding 19. And as you seal her up, she looks at peace. You know, androids often look like they're just asleep 
when they have left their shell. As you're as you're doing this, one of the goblins, actually both of them come up and uh, Bumfuzzle says, We will make sure that she gets back to the 19, Andis. Her body may still yet play host to an android soul in the future. And your kind, they're one step closer to their goal of fulfilling the prophecy. Yes, well, I'm sure that's important. As you know, I'll I'll be returning to them if, if all goes well. I suppose I ought to join you, and I'd, I'd like for her to be among friends if she rejoins us. Yes, well, hopefully they they will treat her well. I hope so. Uh, before before they walk out, Caddy Wampus hands you a, a data pad and says, Null 9 had this on her. It, it looks like she took it from the singularity. It's got some things on it that you may want to look over. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, it's a pretty small, and you notice right off the bat, a very old data pad. Logging mm-hmm. into it, you see that it seems to have belonged to your erstwhile colleague, Dr. Jiro Braskin. Hmm. I'm going to uh, look and see what sorts of relevant files are are on there mm-hmm. that it, might give me a, a sense of what, what Jero was thinking, you know, when they, you know, took off in the singularity like that. Mm-hmm. The, you know, you talk to Andis one, four, six in your exocortex and yeah, they weren't sure what had, you know, sent him off. They had uh, moved on and were kind of getting ready for their own renewal at the time. But as you go to log into this, it seems like it is, keyed to you because it unlocks automatically it's a, a an older locking mechanism but you, you notice that it is pretty high tech for its time there are a number of files relating to something that you gleaned on board the singularity bits and pieces of files that were related to something called project sun splicer but the datapad has hundreds of more files a few more videos and you gather it was some kind of government funded experiment that seek to infuse solar radiation in Vesica DNA kind of changed their genetic makeup for a, a plethora of reasons and Dr. Braskin seems to have started with the idea that he could maybe inject a, kind of like a docile trait into Vesk minds mind you this was when the packed worlds were at war with the Veskarium so they were right. kind of doing anything possible to get an edge but yeah it, this it seems to reveal that maybe his handlers wanted something differently. You get to one of these videos, and it starts with him. He looks very defeated, looking into the camera, and it's quite a different man than your flashback memories of him. He's aged, gray tinging, long unkempt hair, and his face has wrinkled and sagged quite a bit. He sighs and looks into the trivid holographic recorder and says, Years of research, and for what? This is not science. It is madness. I started out hoping to make sense of Helna's death, try and energize myself to become angry at the Vesk and the war, and I find myself now at the end of things realizing how stupid I have been. I threw in with these degenerates in the cult because they could get me the live Vesk test subjects, and I didn't care where my funding came from or what damage it might cause. Discovered recently my main backer is a front for some Eoxian movement that wanted to weaponize the Vesk, turned them into super undead soldiers, infused with the power of a star and used those soldiers for their own undead war. That was the last straw. I planned to discontinue the experiments and end all of it. I'll destroy as much of my research as I can, but they've already raided my computer files. This ambitious Necrovite Lieutenant Saravox raided the Singularity 
That thing and its corpse fleet thugs threatened to murder my distant relatives if I were to stop my research. Zeravox seems to have spies everywhere and their bony fingers in local governments. I'll keep up my work as much as I can, but I cannot in good conscience provide them with any more weapons. Not anymore. I've rigged it to look like an accident, but the end result will be uh, I'll finally be able to be with my wife. After all these years, these monsters will no longer have access to my mind. If you're watching this, Andis146, I'm sorry, my old friend. You were right. Life is not long enough to waste on revenge or anger. I wish I had listened to you long ago. <sighs> this is Jiro Braskin, signing off. Andis uh, closes the uh, the message and utters a, uh, a small farewell for a friend that they didn't know. Yeah, no. I suppose I'm. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna see if I can't upload this into my exocortex. I don't know if it's anything they can access or anything, but I'm gonna try to get the message to 46. Yeah, no. You you can talk to your exocortex and it to you, just like two sides of the same brain. When you were in there, you got the the sense that they could receive some things. When you were in the the cave on top of the mountain, it seemed like you were pretty prescient of the outside world, kind of like you're in a coma. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, vice versa. You, you definitely think that some of these visions of Braskin and, and things like that were coming from 146, trying to, to talk to you from within. So you're pretty sure that whatever you'd um, send in would be would be received. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what Braskin says, you know, you're looking over the, the zipped up body of Null 9, it seems like both of them were pretty intent on revenge and they let anger get the the better of them but um it seems like it's yeah it's as i look at as i sort of uh look at the face of braskin on the data pad Mm -hmm. i see the lines on their face it's on his face and um and i look over at null nine and you know she doesn't she looks so much younger when she's asleep Mm. but it's clear that it's clear that anger was something that was that was weighing very heavily on their souls. And, um, you know, Andis takes this as an opportunity to stop trying to get revenge for things. And, um, doesn't happen too often, but Vandis gets angry. Then I feel like everyone is else is in trouble. <laughs> it's, it, it has happened from time to time. Mm-hmm. It has happened from time to time. I mean, certainly with Gilcrest, uh, that was, that was, a uh, you know, Andis remembers, Fight, uh, encountering Gilcrest both times, and um, since they'd left Depthus, just in just just the the unfathomable anger that welled up with inside of themselves, it was just you know they couldn't control it, and they just they took it out with this violence, and you know it it didn't get them anywhere, and when they had the chance, you know it's just not it's just it's just not worth burning the whole world down. Because it's not going to make you feel any better, you know. Hmm. And so, revenge so days are over for Andis. Yeah, I think I think the days of a great many things are over for Andis. Um, no line was ready to use the stellar degenerator to <laughs> snuff out all life in the universe. From right. what they were <laughs> saying, uh, do you, does Andis does it give them pause at all? Like there, but for the grace of you know whatever happened, do you think Andis in a in her boots would have been able to do the same thing. Well, you know, there's, you know, there is the, the one bad day theory, but you know, Andis, Andis sees a lot of themselves in Null nine. And, uh, 
Uh, I, I, you know, I think that there was a there was a reality where you know Andis Andis did that, and if Null Nine was you know sincere about you know stopping you know stopping the you know the enslavement of all peoples at all at any cost, mm-hmm. that Andis would have might have taken her up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things to destroy in this world. There's a lot of things to be angry about, but you can't just destroy away your problems. Well, time will tell. Let's let's get through the rest of book six before you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'm going to destroy away some of my problems. Don't get me I'm, wrong. <laughs> I'm going to try and destroy everything as GM. So <laughs> if you're saying what I'm doing is wrong, then I don't think we're friends anymore. <laughs> let's uh, let's move from Mandis. Onto Edros. What's what's the uh, the big Vesk doing in these days? Uh, There's a lot to unpack. Edros's main thing is Sonros, uh, mm. and I think one of the things he would definitely do is have a uh, probably well is have a funeral for Sonros. I mean, mm-hmm. I, he would feel like it's his duty as uh, he would probably. I think he would feel it's his duty as a champion of Seren Ray to to lay him to rest. He was also his comrade at one time, and he, Edros was also bent on getting revenge because Sonros betrayed him, and that's how he had always thought of it. But I think after Sonros died, Edros would is is looking is looking at how he had framed all this stuff, and I think he had realized that Sonros only ever did what Besmara, the the deity for pirates, kind of preached, which was if there is something you want, you take it mercies for the week and yeah and so and now he's kind of realizing that that's that's what Sonros did and he's been doing all these things because he thinks that's what Saren Ray would have him do and I think he would kind of have this realization that you know Sonros never really betrayed him he just did what he did and there wasn't any what he did wasn't necessarily bad he just followed his tenets that he believed in just like Adros is doing now and you know in the end Adros and everyone else we were stronger and so Sonros fell but I don't think Adros would think of him anymore think of him as an enemy anymore and you know he probably regrets a little bit just waltzing in there and having a slugfest with him you know he didn't try to talk to Sonros didn't try and spare his life just you know he was enraged and because you know this this planetoid was collapsing around him and all of a sudden there Sonros was and he just you know wanted an excuse to beat him down and I don't think he's very happy how he handled it and he snapped at his friends in in the entire process so yeah he's been in these days alone after uh, are you are you burying Sonros on this planet that's a great question firing him into the sun in a, in a <laughs> missile <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't think I don't think we he would be buried. I think that he would probably try and come up with a funeral service that was befitting of both Besmara and Seren Ray at the same time. Maybe shooting him into the sun is that. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and that, uh, that he, will have he to, doesn't to wait. It's the the yeah. drifter is not airborne yet. Sure. But uh, yeah, now you can bag him and tag him and bring him to the drift riders cargo bay where you see another black bag that uh, that you know has. Null nine in it. Mm-hmm. As you're walking out of there, Bumfuzzle comes up to you and says, we, "We found something in the memory banks of the the Singularity's data files. It, it seems they had a full tribe gallery and some holographic files. 
Nadrasa, oh. well, well, a little old-timey, they they all seem pretty useful. We we loaded one up for you in the hack, thought you might like it. Oh, uh, I mean, sure, I, I guess I could use the distraction. As you step inside the holographic amusement chamber, it loads up, you know, digitizes around you, and you're suddenly in front of a massive cathedral, hundreds of feet high, built out of an oppressive black material, gothic architecture, and you're standing in the shade of a million-degree furnace of this temple, the Pact World's sun, and you know this from, from readings, maybe from other trivids. This is the center of the Serenite religion, the Radiant Cathedral, on the surface of the, the sun, and very close by, you see what looks like a sermon going on around a, a small pulpit in a courtyard, a few dozen congregants in white robes gathered around a, a small humanoid woman with dark hair. It's a digital holographic display pops up above it as you walk forward and it reads, The Sermon of Redemption Through Acts of Valor and Sacrifice. You know just the way these holographic things are, are set up as soon as you walk within range. Her voice becomes crystal clear and that's like when it starts, the, the playback starts. And you can hear this message as if it was being whispered right into your ear. She knows that all are deserving and have desired a path through the darkness, which is why she lit the flames. She has seen into the hearts of all beings, not just her faithful, but the masses out there still within the dark. Inside of us, she can see that which we hide even from ourselves, our own fears and misgivings. For the Dawnflower knows that even in the darkest soul, that which enacts pain and lacks morals, from it springs an eternal well of goodness that while capped is waiting to be set free. It is our job as Serenites to guard that which within the soul struggles to be good and true. We must safeguard that instinct in the soul to be a font for the light and we must kindle the flame against the darkness and where applicable raise arms against the fall of night over intelligent minds and hearts. You all are guardians, not only of the people, but the darkness that resides within them as well. It is possible to save the person and show them the light, but in doing so, we should realize that not all beings desire salvation and for them only a swift and just end is good. So saith the light in the book of the birth of light and truth. The digital file pops up and you see more sermons, testimonies, speeches, maybe a few hundred set in and around the radiant cathedral. Bumfuzzle emerges through the haze of the hologram and says, I, I know we didn't talk too much, big guy, and well, we just wanted to say we're, we're sorry we tried to kill you all those times, but uh, you seem pretty angry and sad about that cultist body brought back with you. Are you going to be okay, Adros? I I feel like I'm going to miss him. I just sometimes wish that the paths that we travel, well, that not all of them had to end in bloodshed. I will be fine. Although, I need to figure out a way to get past this and focus on our task at hand. How's Adros going to do that, Tyler? I think the first things first is that I, um, I, th uh, I think he would apologize to everybody. You know, get get all of the crew together and, and just say I know that I was a little intense during that fight with my old first mate. A little? I mean okay. A lot. But and I asked for something that you guys couldn't do which is to stand aside. 
If I was in your position, I wouldn't have... I would have done the same thing. I would have helped. And for me to snap at you was uncalled for and rude and mean. And I am very sorry. I... You are my friends. And I want to see this quest to the end with all of you. Evie, we've all got history. We've all got stuff in our past that we feel like we need to encounter by ourselves. But there's something about this crew and the events that have happened to to all of us and me personally that lead me to think that, I don't know, maybe we don't need to handle things by ourselves anymore. That we can handle things together and that that makes us all better. I, I agree. It is like the light of a single torch by itself can be weak, but if you bring several together, they can grow into a pyre. And I think that by myself, the light of Saren Ray can only reach so far. But when we all fight together, that light will pierce through anything. Idrath, you know why we stepped in, right? Or because because that guy hit me with a hammer really, really hard. Well, that too, but. <laughs> <laughs> But I think we all understand the weight that anger can be, and it's often an it's often a weight that we can't that we just can't bear alone. And for myself, when I saw that look in your eye, that look where all you wanted was blood on your hands, I couldn't we couldn't let it end like that. I was scared of you, Adras, in that moment, but I was also scared for you. We needed to step in and we needed to help each other. We need to continue to help each other. Obviously, you're all right. And I simply cannot thank you all enough for helping to guide me along the right path. And well, I'm just going to be excited to uh, win the day and get back to Absalom Station and go back to the Fusion Queen and get back to times where things weren't so, you know, big weapon kills the world. It's no longer the Fusion Queen. Right. (laughs) We have to rebrand. I already have. And, and <laughs> five bucks ago, <laughs> and we're gonna have to kill a lot of guys that have taken taken its place and renamed it since we've been gone. We've been a little busy, I understand, but <laughs> so we'll wrap up the uh, the crew meeting as it were. There, fast forwarding to the present, to the end of episode sixty, the corpse fleet emerges from drift space. Three massive carriers, including an ultronaut, hundreds of smaller craft having departed drift space, are making their way to the gateway system, and the computers in the the monitor room you're in um, turn to cameras across the system as the controller planetoids seem to be altering themselves. You see movement down on these lifeless rocks, and hidden components begin opening up on the, the, the surface of these planets, and from them, large artillery raises from beneath the ground level and a few minutes later the system is a host to a massive battle the stellar degenerator itself seems to come alive as well with small turrets all over its surface opening up and firing in all directions and the battle rages and observing it one thing is certain (laughs) if you're to take the drift rider up there into this melee it would probably be a one-way trip as both sides seem to be equally as likely to fire upon you. You see massive explosions as ships begin taking damage. The the planets explode in, in atomic fire. What, what's the Drift Rider crew thinking at this point? Uh, we're gonna need bigger guns. Much bigger guns. <laughs> Good thing I found all these build points. <laughs> yes! Randy cast Command Undead over all of them. <laughs> What uh, what are your characters doing? Uh, probably just 
looking on with an exasperated sigh, just knowing that this is this is a uh, this is not gonna be easy. Offseth is gone. The AI had to sacrifice herself in order to get the gateway open, and you all cut off from the rest of the universe by a matter of weeks. If you escaped right now, you might be able to make it back to the Pact War, but this deadly super weapon, the one of the most horrific things the universe has ever created, would be in the hands of a group of undead extremists. Yeah, uh, Andis, is, Andis is already on the recently repaired ship uh, <laughs> doing pre-flight checks, just like doing one final check of all our systems before before we go, because this is assuming that we're about to take off right now. <laughs> you might be able to send some messages back to Galara, but mind you, it's uh, a ways away from the facility where it crash-landed. And as soon as you <laughs> pop out of the facility, you hear the computers screaming behind you, warning of the this space battle, this this den of the, the cosmic battle above you. And if anyone stays behind, you notice one of the computer cameras kind of focusing in on a smaller corpse fleet vessel, a sepulcher shuttle that seems to be making its way through the atmosphere of your planetoid and touching down right outside in the jungle by the landing pad. The computer pulls in on this as it disappears behind the tree line and a final warning flashes across the screen. It reads, to be continued. No. No. Spooky. It's time for visitors. A bottle of diaspora rum to the highest kill count in this next couple of events. Just give it to Alindra now. How how does the GM enjoy that, Drew? (laughs) (laughs) None for you. You're the one throwing the bad guys at us. (laughs) You're the one casting these awful, awful spells on us. Oh, it's going to be fun. Don't worry. We'll see what happens next week. You guys have some... Some planning to do as you do. You are somewhat aware of what is coming, what awaits for you out in space. And I can't wait to get there. The the true start of book six, where I start to (laughs) roll dice and kill everyone, is next week. Episode 62. How are you guys doing? I'm tired. My SP's a little down. Um, feel like I need an RP. Wait, wait, did you generation? Well, how have you been getting hurt these last three weeks? <laughs> Just emotional damage. <laughs> Can someone heal my emotional damage to this AP? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get some more XP by kicking this wall until my foot breaks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh Boy, are you guys excited for to get back to the comp oh, yeah. next week? Yeah, Off I have to, to say, I'm like speechless because I have no idea how this is going to go, how this is going to wrap up, how we yeah. can possibly defeat this gigantic thing. I, I mean, I, it's what the whole AP has been building up to, and I, mm-hmm. I just can't imagine how it's going to end. I'm really excited yeah. to find out. <laughs> Right. I'm yeah. very excited because I have a lot of bad guys I got to play around with. <laughs> no yeah. more of these like, a- 20 cultists running around a few planets. I'm just saying, if Gefalar yeah. Knorr shows up, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> You're going to have words with I him? I trusted <laughs> that guy. Drew, Drew's been theorizing about this for, well, a 60 episodes, he, practically. He fed us <laughs> some spider milk, and I got to know 
that that bro is <laughs> on the level. You 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 beat the big bad of the book and and rip off the skull mask it's wearing and it, it's just an exact. <laughs> an exact it's just like another skull. skull it was Mister Jenkins the whole time. He I knew it was you. I would have gotten away with the two of it weren't for you, Starfinders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he yeah. was upset that his theme park sales were down. Oh. <laughs> so he was going to start blowing up planets until it got better. <laughs> until his, the, with the his theme, theme park, park planet was the only one left, and then left, everyone yeah. went to the theme park. That, that is a very Scooby Doo solution to a problem. <laughs> I would believe. Yeah. Maybe the most Scooby Doo solution to a problem. Yeah, two hundred percent Scooby Doo. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be bananas, and I'm excited. Jinkies, mm. mm-hmm. zoinks. Well, you, you don't have to wait too long. It's coming up next week. I'm very excited about it. Um, we're going oh. to wrap up this episode right now, but mind you, this isn't the end of the podcast as we have an interview and a crit bit, very special crit bit with very. the author of book five book we just finished maybe Stephen one of Randy the McFarlane. most in, in, engaging crit bits we have ever had it's great five. it's definitely worth a listen a and it's right on the other side of this but that does it for the quote-unquote story like gameplay of episode 61 mm. thank you guys for for <laughs> telling this story along with me thank you thank you, thank you patrick and tell everybody have a good night have, have a, a night. good night everybody crit bit commencing in three two one crit bit initiated welcome back everyone the episode's not over it's time for another crit bit it has been a while but uh we're we're very excited this is patrick your gm and joining me coming back from the game land is a few other players we've got drew Miles and Tyler. Hey guys. Hello. Hey. How's it going? Uh, I'm doing really well. I'm excited because we get to once again dive into the the world of Paizo talent and talk to our special guest uh, on the script bit. Very excited to get to introduce to you all the the author of the AP that we just finished, Stephen Radney McFarland, the senior role playing game designer at Paizo. Stephen, welcome to the show. Oh, very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no, thank you for allowing us to have you. It's been, uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel very lucky that we get to actually talk to the authors of the adventures that we get to play, as well as the people behind the scenes kind of making the games that we're enjoying. Yeah, well, I mean, we have fun making those games and writing adventures. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh uh, very easy to come on and talk to, to talk to folks who want to listen to us babble about, you know, such esoterica as game design and mm-hmm. adventure writing. <laughs> well, you know, it, it interests us a great deal because I, I don't know, I guess growing up when I was playing uh, role playing games, it always felt, I don't know, just kind of the same distance between uh, <laughs> me and Stephen King. If I read one of his books, then, you know, this super arcane core rule book of rules like how did this come to be no I, always- yeah i'm definitely right with you it's uh it's one of the greatest shocks over my nearly 20 year career that some of the people i idolized as kids or as a kid is are, are now really good friends so mm-hmm. yeah humans humans yeah. too it's nice. what a shock um so we we know a great deal about you know, all, all the people at Paizo that have been working on the Dead Suns AP 
taking up the work. And we're going to talk about book number five in, in just a bit. But can you tell us a, a little bit more about uh, what you do at Paizo and uh, maybe what some of your day to day is like? Uh, sure. I'm um, well, I'm the uh, senior designer on the RPG rules team, which means uh, and I've been I've been a Paizo for uh, nearly eight years now. Wow. And so what that means is uh, I basically do a lot of design work and then a lot of freelance wrangling on all of the uh, hardcover core books. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not as much Starfinder anymore, but I did a lot of work on the Starfinder core rulebook uh, w- with a lot of folks. Um mm-hmm. But it's mostly the Pathfinder role-playing game these days. Main Pathfinder or second edition? Is Both, that taking yeah. up a lot of your? Oh yeah, second edition taking a lot of uh, a lot yeah. of time. And plus, um, uh, I'm the chief designer for our flip mat and uh, flip tiles products. So. Oh wow. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I I put all of those together too and send them to uh, somebody who uh, Jason Engel, who's a much better artist than I am, to make them look pretty. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> so. So yeah, that's that's my basic day to day. Is uh, yeah. currently doing a lot of the Pathfinder playtest, uh, supporting other teams when they need it, and then putting together the those uh, map products. Wow, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't can't imagine what you have to go through. I will jump from playing Starfinder, GMing it. And then playing Pathfinder, and my brain wants to revolt every once in a while because it's like, wait a minute, which rule system is this? And I can't imagine having to write four multiples, uh, multiple systems. Well, that um, and I, you know, I'll do freelance for other companies as well. Like I do some freelance for Robert uh, uh, Schwalb's uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord, and mm. I've done freelance for Green Ronin and, and and whatnot. So yeah, sometimes it's it's like, yeah, which which system is this again? Yeah. In, in particular, second edition has been in the works for for some time. Is it true that Starfinder was kind of developed uh, at the, the the same time, kind of side by side as the 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 second edition rule set? Yeah, we actually started um, at least initial design on second edition, what we wanted to accomplish with that and everything else, and then they were all like, "Oh, and we're going to do the science fiction role playing game." <laughs> it's all like, oh, cool. And so some of the things, um, you know, we like, for instance, my main contributions uh, to that book were the skill chapter, the envoy. And mm. hey, um, yeah. And um, and basically the, the new way to generate ability scores and, uh-huh. you know, lots of other bits and pieces throughout the game. And so as a team, we basically put together a whole bunch of documents and a whole bunch of um, suggestions on how to do things and sent them to what was going to be the Starfinder team and said, yeah, if you're going to do a science fiction game, we advise that, you know, you guys do all of this. Uh, and then it was all like, once we handed that over, um, for the most part, uh, we let the Starfinder team decide exactly what, what, what they wanted to do with both, uh, the, the, well, mostly the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a basic idea of what they wanted to do with the setting material yeah. and adhered to that and, and, and everything else. And so there was, there was a bit of back and forth, but after a while when the Starfinder team sort of solidified and became more independent, had a better grasp of exactly what they wanted to do with the game, um, you know, we were able to step back and go back and, and, and work on the Pathfinder playtest uh, design. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, that That's fascinating to me. I, when I found that out, I was like, you know, that kind of makes sense. Um, but Starfinder is, is 
in my opinion, obviously a biased opinion, so well developed and, and finalized. It just it feels like a great synthesis of you know coming from the first edition rule set. Um, I did not know that uh, that you worked primarily on on the envoy or developed the envoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very interesting. One of my favorite classes. Drew plays a Ahsoki envoy here. Oh, very cool. Yes, I'm a huge fan of the Envoy class. And and my first question is, you know, of the classes in Starfinder, uh, is Envoy the best class and why? (laughs) Well, I mean, I wanted to make kind of the ultimate sort of, uh, you know, science fiction support class, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you think of, you know, Lando Calrissian or Princess Leia or, you know, or a thing like that, somebody who gets into the middle of things and leads Mm -hmm. in their own particular way. uh, It says not in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You wouldn't hit a man with glasses, right? Right, exactly. And so, you know, and and make it fun and interesting using using a lot of scientific or, or, you know, sci-fi tropes and everything yeah. else. And so, yeah, that's, that's basically what I wanted to do with it. And, uh, as, as it developed in the final class, I was pretty happy with its outcome. And it was interesting watching people, you know, there's a lot of sort of power game role players. And mm-hmm. I don't say that mm-hmm. disparagingly. Uh, I can, I, I can definitely be that kind of role player who don't get support characters who are at first like, Oh, the envoys land. And it's all like, wait for it. And then <laughs> as people started playing, they're like, oh, no, you really want a member of this class in your party. It just, you know, because oh. the whole idea of it was to to move your entire group to new heights um, in a way that sometimes I, you know, I, I don't think uh, uh, fantasy um, support characters, uh, you know, do as directly as mm-hmm. as kind of uh, the envoy does. And, and if I could add a little bit to that, I think that the sci-fi setting that Starfinder has really leads to stuff that, that fantasy doesn't really get to. Like an envoy would excel in a corporate meeting with a high-powered cyber technology executive that right. don't really get that kind of, uh, you know, kind of conversation. It, it, yeah. And, and that's where, where I, I don't know, out of comp, my, my envoy, I'm an Ahsoki, so I don't do a ton of damage uh, with my stuff, but, uh, right, right. but I get so many skill points per level. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's just amazing. Oh. It's, it's hard uh, going from a, a high skill point class to a low one. I'm building oh, yeah. a, in a first edition Pathfinder uh, a paladin right now, and I'm like, why? Why do I get so few skill rings? Uh, I'm oh, yeah. I just I'm missing them. <laughs> well, in a, in a lot of way, I think that's that's something you can say about P1 is is mm-hmm. a lot of times it was a little bit stingy with those with those skills for people like paladins, right? Where mm-hmm. You know, you might want to have a paladin who's a lot more skillful than he is Marshall. Mm-hmm. But um, so in a lot of ways, we were able to go back with Starfinder and go, uh, you know, it's a brand new world. We can kind of do whatever we want. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and and so we did. Yeah. And uh, well, just uh, last thing on the envoy is I, I do feel like it can be very well balanced. I, I like all the classes because you can kind of build the same character in all the classes that you want. Like if you want to do the range specialist, you can do that with any class. And if you want to do the, you know, the in your face melee character, you can, or if you want to play the, the party face, you know, uh, you say you worked on the ability score generation, uh, 
as well. And that I, I think is you know pretty egalitarian and nobody has to s- suck at charisma <laughs> in right. Starfinder. And uh, that's, that's pretty freeing, I think, uh, for, for role-playing purposes. More yeah. <laughs> and that was definitely the goal. I mean, you know, in kind of uh, uh, sword and sorcery fantasy, mm-hmm. there's a lot of tropes that we have to deal with. And, um, you know, we, we weren't confined to those tropes in this one. We were uh, science fiction in some ways. It's a lot more challenging to to build a group dynamic game in science mm-hmm. fiction because so much science fiction is based on, you know, like the lone hero and, and, and whatnot. Uh, there are definitely uh, examples to the contrary. Oh, but, yeah. you know. Uh, we we wanted it to to have a little bit more depth because we knew in in a lot of ways just the vastness of space had more depth mm-hmm. um, than going you know from village to village and killing monsters. Oh yeah, and, and the the amount of stories that people can tell with with just the base core rule book, you know, seven new races and seven classes. Um, uh, I've said it many times, but that settings chapter is one of my favorites just because it's laden with ideas and you can pick it up as a GM and kind of get gassed up and and start writing your own adventures pretty easily. Um, But we're not, we're not talking about homebrew right now. (laughs) Uh, Let's uh, let's switch gears and, and talk about 13, talk about AP volume number five. Um, so one one question that I I've kind of asked almost every uh, writer of uh, the AP books, uh, kind of comparing doing uh, one of these books as a season of television, and and almost everyone has kind of mentioned how challenging it is to write an AP book over maybe a standalone uh, one shot or uh, kind of an expansion. Uh, do do you agree with that? And and w- what makes it more challenging? to to write an AP compared to something by itself? Um, well, a little bit is, you know, even though they're staggered uh, a tad, um, basically all of us get, you know, there's a, a general outline that's built for the AP. And so mm-hmm. there are certain things about it. It's like, it's got to have this, right? And they, they try to keep those things as open as possible to let individual writers, you know, sort of flex their creativity. But, um, the main sort of uh, uh, story, right, or at least what has to happen in, in that adventure is kind of set. And so you've got like this weird story Bible. And then what we do with that is we take we take those those three pages of notes and then we expand it out to an outline and say, this is this is how I want to do this. And uh, you go to the main developer and there's a little bit of give and take. Um, and so that's hard in some ways because you know um i i think a, a home gm or 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 whatever who's just like i can do whatever i want and it's like i can do whatever i want within these confines right you know certain mm-hmm. things that have to happen but you know once once you get going it gives you a, an immense amount of freedom uh especially in what you can do with characters how you can make the story move forward you know because basically you've got an end goal you 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 know some of the pieces um but there's a lot of pieces that are left you know for your own discretion uh the the real thing at least for me is like making that work to my own satisfaction at the end um which sometimes it's just you know me banging my head on a keyboard at four o'clock in the morning (laughs) right i just kind of can't get it to the point where it makes sense in my head um 
And then other things too, like, you know, somebody asked me the other day, what's the thing you like least about the 13th gate? And I'm like, well, the fact that the, 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 the orbital planetoids around the suns are called moons. (laughs) I've, I've struggled with that as well. (laughs) And and, and I'll give you a hint is in, in the outline, they were called controller moons. And I, and, and I said, I'm like, those aren't moons. And I did not write that. In my draft, and they changed it back because they thought moon sounded cooler. And I was all like, that does not sound cool. Did, well, did you say they're not moon planetoids? Did, did you say they're not moons? They're space stations? Like, go that, right, that right. round? <laughs> well, see, it's, it's weird because the system is not really, I mean, I guess it is kind of heliocentric, but there are 12 right. of them. So it's a little, it's a little weird. I, I, I don't know. Maybe if they, if they're called artificial moons or something like that, then it, yeah. It might work more, but I've, I've been calling them planet. I think I've been saying planetoids for the most yeah, part in, I, in our show. I don't, I think except for the first time they were introduced, I think you used, I think you said the word like controller moon once, but I think after that, we've always called them planetoids. <laughs> so in a way, uh, Stephen, we've passed on your, your, your preference. Yay, I win. Yeah. So yeah, it's so I, funny because I, 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 I think of like the demo plane as like the center of the, well, the gateway as the center and then the suns as kind of like the orbital bodies and then the moons, you know, I don't know, I guess, I guess it's weird, but the, it, it's a little confusing <laughs> to explain, but it, I think once you get into it and explain it to your players and everyone's on board, no matter what you call yeah. it, it's like you're on, you're on controller uh, station or facility number one and facility. You, yeah. You need to go to number two. Yeah. But it does give me uh, a nice joke when I sign copies of the adventure because I'll usually go on uh, inside and I'll sign it. That's no moon, and then I'll <laughs> sign my name. So it's it's my it's my own little fun joke. <laughs> There's uh, those twelve are not moons. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing uh, better sometimes for for as a player than when you get a really cool map reveal by your GM. And I gotta say, when when Patrick revealed the map uh, of the of the controller moon and uh, all all in the circle uh that was that was very cool that mm-hmm. really helped uh kind of set the scale that we were about to partake in yeah uh, of this it's- of this entire of this entire system and of, of what it really this gate is is you know massive and uh yeah that was a cool moment it's a really weird system. And there are parts mm-hmm. of me that the, the sort of science geek in me goes, it doesn't move. Like you don't understand relativity. Right. <laughs> I'm like, right. But, you know, and I'm like, Oh, it's science. It's magic. It's magic. Right. So got magic involved. So there, there was big parts of me just geeking out on this whole thing where I'm just like, you know, one of those 4am's banging my head on a keyboard. It's like, this makes no sense if you understand relativity and I had to go, Steven, shut up, just write the damn adventure. (laughs) How how, have you had many fans come at you and (laughs) bring up some uh, astrophysics and be like, I'm so sorry to have to correct you, but that is not how this would work. No, thankfully not. The only, uh, yeah, the only person who's really done that to me is myself. (laughs) (laughs) I I will not be bringing out uh, my physics background. (laughs) Enjoying this adventure. It's like, okay, okay. I mean, you know, and that's one of the weird things about science fiction is sometimes, you know, your inner geek just rebels against it. Um, uh, when with fantasy, you just go, Oh, it's magic. It's magic. And so, yeah, it took me a little bit to go, well, it's, 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 it's science fiction 
fantasy pathfinder magic <laughs> i gotta move on i just like to remind myself that relativity didn't exist in star trek and if that didn't happen then everything's fine <laughs> yeah all right it's good enough for roddenberry it's good enough for <laughs> Starfinder. Right. oh well one thing i really uh appreciated as a player for this adventure path was the variety of enemies you know, yeah. when we when we first got to the gate, we're we're fighting, you know, the the creatures, and then uh, the one I think it was a, a technomancer, Patrick, was it technomancer? Oh, the the, uh, the the mouth hands uh, cult. Yeah, uh, no, <laughs> the atrocite. Yeah, that's atrocite. <laughs> <laughs> um, with that and the the cultists and the various uh, robots and and null nine and the shades and the dwarf there was just a little bit of everything and and while sometimes as a player i was a little exhausted because i was like looking at my spell cache and i was like oh, this is not going so well for oh, me so many marathon fights in this book <laughs> but the, the, uh, looking back, it was just such a cool experience having this really cool variety that made complete sense to me. Yeah, I, I don't think we, we got it in our adventure, but it is a possibility in the adventure path to have a fight where you are fighting against uh, robots and ghosts at the same yeah. time, which is awesome. <laughs> we got it kind of once, I think. Oh. When we um, entered the space station. Yeah, yeah. It, it just, I, I, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, that's a crazy fight. Like half of them is, are, you know, incorporeal and moving through walls. And the other half are <laughs> incorporeal the bane of my existence. Beam enhanced weapons. Oh, and, man. Um, well, yeah, I mean, one of the early conversations I had with Rob McCreary about this thing when I got the outline and I wanted to do something really interesting with the Starship combat entering through. And I'm like, the shield stopping corporeal undead and he's all like no and i'm like oh good <laughs> and, uh, um, and you know and that's when uh i i sort of came up with the idea of the uh, oblivion spawn i like this idea of these mm -hmm. ghostly things just coming through your hall and going and you going i thought i was safe i'm in my ship and it's all yeah. like no and um and as soon as i told him that idea he was like do that do that right and so <laughs> And as I started thinking about um, these devourer cults um, and uh, and, you know, what it's what it's like to actually be, a, a, you know, a bunch of people dedicated to oblivion, um, you know, having that mix of, of of strange enemies just made sense to me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, of course, they're going to grab everything and anything and just throw it at you. Yeah. Can I let's talk about uh, let's talk about the insane cast you threw at us in this uh, adventure a little bit. Uh Everything. I mean, just the just the desperate. Hung, I mean, you've got the jangly man who comes up front. Yeah. Uh, there are the, the desperate hunger cultists that are scattered throughout the whole thing. Uh, there's a assassin or someone named uh, um, Cisrus Coldblood. Coldblood. Uh, right. Yeah. Zix, Zaz, Null Nine, the um, Oblivion Shade, Malice. Mm. Uh, there was this just. Un, this crazy march through the most like deranged, psychopathic, incorporeal, incorporeal creatures. It, um, it felt like, I mean, like high noon at the the gateway of the twelve. You know, <laughs> we we like, barely yeah, nearly yeah uh, take on TPK'd. cold blood that that fight too yeah I, well i mean just like how i mean i, I figure you you knew you had to put together this this team of high echelon uh cult of the devourer 
bad guys. Yeah. Um, how, how, how did you kind of want to bring that team and make them as kind of despicable as you kind of possibly could? Seem? Um, well, I mean, a lot of it is there, there's a lot of, I, I guess you could say, you know, uh, sort of weird personal fears in that. I, I, I thought very hard mm. about what makes, um, people just crave oblivion and, uh, and, you know, and then there's, there's the folks that are just, you know, basically bat, batshit crazy. Right. And that's right. the cultists. That's the desperate hunger. It's just, it's just a bunch of people who just like to destroy things. And so those were kind of the easiest folks to kind of make, um, right. And then there are the people that oblivion has come to us. And those, you know, those are, uh, you know, malice and, and her crew. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and the fact it's like, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I sort of envision malice as she thinks that she is the kind of avatar of, you know, uh, uh of the destruction. Um, yeah, gotcha. and, uh, and, and, and nil nine, right. Is, is, is just, you know, she's this Android who, uh, you know, most androids are, I, she's almost the anti date. Um, she's not searching for hu her humanity. She wants nothing to do with that. She just mm. like, you know, she, she, she thinks humanity's a plague. Um, she just kind of, you know, wants to, you know, wipe it all away because, you know, that's what logic and reason, cold logic and reason tell her. Um, Finally, a relatable NPC in one of these <laughs> APs. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> and, it was it, yeah. And Zix, Zix and Zag are just—they're a dysfunctional relationship. They're a terribly dysfunctional relationship. And so I—I I, 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 so I, I thought about the person who just kind of drags, you know, gets dragged along by you know mm. an abusive figure in in, in their lives, yeah. and you know, and that's why Zix is is really so conflicted, and and Zaz is just nuts. Zix is, I think. I mean, all of those, all of these characters are, are awesome and fun, but I think Zix is where, where you, you know, where you have an awesome crew and now you have a genius crew because it's that one piece of humanity in any otherwise, you yeah. know, you can't identify with any of these other people really, well, uh, right. you're not supposed to. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you throw in this one little bit that kind of makes you, it makes you question the rest of them. It's the one character that makes you go like, well, why are these other ones also evil? Well, I'd say it's, 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 it's great because um zix in particular you get a little bit of background through her of like the dynamic if you want to talk to her about like what made the cultists tick you could um mm -hmm. she's a little crazed <laughs> when you first meet her so that's not really possible but it, it's one of those things like we don't um i guess we don't have like cutaway scenes in our story that we're telling but it would be really cool to see the um what these cultists did on Istamak and like what their journey was like out to the gateway. Um, yeah. And yeah. we, we never get to actually see that, but we can kind of infer it after meeting these, yeah. these characters. We could yeah, do I mean, a whole special episode that was just us playing like the jangly man, Zix, Zaz, Malice and Null nine, you know, and literally just going through their adventure <laughs> uh, <laughs> be bad guys. Yeah. I think, honestly, for any AP writer that really wants to defeat the Cosmic Crit crew, you give us a situation like this where we can't attempt to redeem the person and they betray us in the end anyway. <laughs> I'm just making a note here. Betray. Happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because we, 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 we have had a habit of, of trying to save these these kind of 
NPCs along the way that we have come across. And I thought, have we let any of them die? I don't know that we let. You're going for a perfect uh, ending right now. You're trying. You're trying for the, <laughs> yes. the Paragon, we're the doing, Platinum Trophy. We're doing um, the Paragon. We're doing the loyalty quests. You're unlocking <laughs> well, except every my, my character has been down to kill. I think every single one of them. Oh yeah, no, you're you're not getting any trophies at the end, Mouse. Um, <laughs> Steven, in um, in making the the maps for this AP in particular, did were you given a lot of what had to be in these two facilities, or was this completely up to your own purview? The 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 first controller facility where we meet Oseth and Eltreth, and and then the second one where we're, the the huge map where we get to see kind of like the inner workings of one of these planetoids and the bathroom um, fight. <laughs> Right. (laughs) No, I I mean, for the most part, uh, and and partially because I work with maps so much and everything else is, is uh, a lot of times my coworkers would just be like, make it cool. We know you'll make it cool. Um, (laughs) And so like one of the things that I did with the control center map is I put it on a a flipped uh, mat size. And so, Mm -hmm. which I told them, I'm like, if you're ever kind of crunch for a flip mat, right. That's, that's the right size. Just put it on there. And, and yeah. it's, it's, it's a good ruined uh, facility uh, and whatnot. And uh, the interior of uh, the controller moon where you have the final encounter and whatnot, I, I think I redrew that map like three or four times. Like the, <laughs> uh, the, the end game of this adventure gave me um, just, I, I think I wrote that uh, part three, that, you know, act three of the adventure probably about four or five times. Hmm. Uh, much, uh, much to my girlfriend's chagrin, um, <laughs> she'd be like, are you done? And, you know, and, and like, you know, I, I, I keep track of my writing or at least the writing I do at home on Grammarly and everything else. And she's like, how many words have you written this, this week? And I'm like, according to Grammarly, it's 350,000. And she's like, what? <laughs> this thing's only like, and I'm like, I know I keep on rewriting the damn thing at the end. And I've drawn like three different versions of the maps and, and, and whatnot. So just, just trying to get it right in my head. Um, uh, so yeah, I had a lot of leeway on what the various things would look like. I knew I wanted it to look different than something I'd put together for a fantasy map. I wanted kind of softer edges and, um, uh, you know, rounded corners and mm. wanted to make it look really alien, um, and still, you know, somewhat identifiable as humanoids kind of having to wander around through this thing. Um, and the cartographer did an excellent job. Oh yeah. These walls look really phallic now that I take them <laughs> well yeah no, um, like uh hr geiger-esque which, right yeah you know pretty <laughs> which, awesome which is which is pretty good so um at least as far as you know making sure that this is where it starts this is what it needs to do this is where it needs to end up those are the basic guidelines were given and i was basically given a lot of free reign you know in between those points to do whatever the heck i wanted to do mm-hmm. um as long as, you know, I, I talked to it with uh, uh, the developer of the project who started out as Rob McCreary and then uh, later on was Jason Keeley and, uh, you know, and made sure that it, it, it conformed to, you know, their thoughts about where the AP should be going. And, mm-hmm. and like I had this, uh, um, I, I didn't realize it at, at one point that the drift was somewhat new. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they were all like, you talk a lot about drift technology in here that the Kishley had, but the drift wasn't there then. And I'm like, well, how the hell did the Kishley get around? And they <laughs> looked at me and they're like, um, 
And I'm like, you know, you're supposed to have this multi, you know, uh, system <laughs> empire back in the day. And they're like, we'll get back to you on that. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, lost Kishley technology. Right. Yeah. Sure. You know, and, and that's a great thing about, uh, about this <laughs> a, kind of. A scientist takes a piece of paper and folds it in half and sticks a, a pencil through it. And it's like, this is how it works. <laughs> yeah. Like that. And just um, like this. And we're there. And so in a lot of ways, and, and mostly when I'm done with a project like this, I turn it over. And if, you know, I remember Jason Keeley coming to the desk and he's like, Stephen, I need to, I'm going to have to change a couple of things in the adventure. And I'm like, you have free reign to change <laughs> whatever you need to do. Like, I am done with that project. I don't want to look at it again until it, <laughs> you know, comes out published. And he's like, really? And I'm like, I trust you, man. Right. You know, you know what you're doing. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I know you're not, you know, going to mess it up. And, and he's like, and, you know, and, and Jason was relatively new. It's like, okay, cool. You sure? And I'm like, yeah, you don't have to come to me with every little thing. <laughs> if you need to make changes, I trust you to make the changes you need to make. That's, you know, for, for, you know, the Starfinder brand and everything else. I know it's been like two years since you probably turned in that uh, initial draft, but was there anything that um, didn't make it to the, to the final AP? that you can remember that you were like, Oh wow, that's crazy. That didn't make it in. No, not really. Um, yeah. yeah as uh, like, I'm, I'm scrolling through the PDF right now because it's, it, it's one of those things where it's, you know, I, uh, moving on to new projects and everything mm-hmm. else. Um, I think I flipped through it when it came out and went, Oh, cool. You know, it's like, um, yeah, <laughs> everything, you know, there, there's some minor changes, but all of those were understandable because the developers at Paizo are really good at what they do and know how to, you know, uh, kind of, uh, change things for, for the better. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, yeah, it all looks really good. Uh, like you didn't like, you know, uh, (laughs) there was part of me, I'm like, I, I spent a lot of time, uh, writing the jangly man in the beginning. And I became really kind of obsessed with him and had this whole idea of backstory. And he's a very kind of Stephen Kingish sort mm-hmm. of character. And mm-hmm. I sort of wrote him that way. And I was like, they're going to totally change that dude. He's just too weird. And I'm like, <laughs> Nope, they didn't. Great. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, yeah. No, you, you can tell there's, there's some cool backstory with him. We, we, uh, kind of folded him into a character on the, the, the podcast previously from, from our first, uh, AP adventure, but um, uh, I love the art that they came up with with him, and uh, like you said, pretty cool fight either way. Like if they lose a space battle, if they succeed, both yeah. are, are interesting options. Um, I actually have a question about that. As we were talking uh, before we started recording, there is an NPC uh, opponent character that we did not meet in our iteration of the campaign. And I wondered if, uh, if we, we could talk about that. Cause I'm just curious to the stuff we missed out on. Oh, are you talking about Quilius? Yeah. Uh, so Quilius was, to be honest, Quilius was a little bit of an afterthought. Um, at that time, alien archive was about to come out and mm-hmm. as sort of a, a, a kind of a last minute sort of thing, not really last minute, but it's all like, us. uh, you know, it would help us a lot because a lot of the early, adventure paths had to spend a great deal of time sort of reproducing stats. And they're like, if you could use some, some critters from, uh, alien archive. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I can find a way to do that. That's, Oh yeah. That's absolutely not a problem. And, um, have like a a playground, you know, to, to play in with all these crazy monsters and stuff. Right. Uh, um, and so Quilius was, uh, was kind of added as, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, here there be dragons 
sort of introduction into the game. Mm -hmm. And even when I was writing them, I'm like, you know, I I think a lot of players are just going to see this as is like, yeah, 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 they know. But I, I, I like those kind of, you know, opposite call to adventures. It's all like, you should stop here now. And it's all mm-hmm. like, well, 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 you know, because players can't resist that sort of thing. It's <laughs> like, well, somebody else doesn't want us to go. We should go. Um, <laughs> and so so that's one of the reasons uh, uh, why, why Quilius was added. Um, oddly enough, taking a look at it now as they put on his entire statistics, which I was all like, well, that sort of defeated the purpose. <laughs> well yeah they, they make it like so, the design purpose yeah everyone can can kind of just dive in uh, yeah uh, and, although and, this definitely was out after alien archive this came out in march maybe yeah i i, I knew it was it was very close and so they're like hey could you add some add some of those in and i'm like yeah i can find a way to do it and as like you know it's at part three because you know that you, you have specs on how many words you need to write and i forget how many words this was and mm-hmm. as i was working on as i finally compete completed the last draft of of uh, act three of the adventure i was able to um to make that a lot briefer than the earlier drafts of it <laughs> obviously so and then i'm like oh i need I, I i need to add a little bit somewhere here and that's that's kind of where quilius was born um we, we we should probably wrap up here before we go too too long but before we sure. end i'd love to give the the players here a chance to just talk about their their favorite moment uh from from this book or maybe favorite fight or character what do you, what do you guys think i can't believe it was actually a bathroom <laughs> well <laughs> we we should mention this to steven that was like the last room that they they opened in the core facility and they're like we right. haven't found a bathroom yet <laughs> no it was uh, <laughs> rebecca joking that this is the last room it's got to be a bathroom and and at least me in particular like ha 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 yeah exactly bathroom right and we open the door and it's a bathroom <laughs> Um, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love that a lot of the maps have had, uh, you know, lavatories <laughs> in them. Uh, even the uh, in in book three, the the cultist base had some some restrooms, like kind of shunted off to the side. I was like, yeah, no, this is a, a living space. <laughs> People yep. worked and lived here, and it, it wasn't like a, a, a an old dusty um, uh, castle where I guess. Well, we don't really need to talk about medieval plumbing, but it it oh, wasn't right. great. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is an advanced civilization. The Kish they have they have a yeah, uh, toilet. Yeah, yeah, no more no more middens with buckets. Uh, <laughs> Although when you're dealing with alien races, you know, do they need to go? It's a well, different. Let's go through the entire alien archive. Yay or nay? <laughs> right. Oh, I like this. I like where we're going. We're going Dude, long on this interview. Contemplatives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really? Oh, well. Um, uh, Miles, uh, any any favorite uh, bits from from Thirteenth Gate? You know, the one thing that actually really did surprise me, even though I think I had joked about it. Uh, when it happened and prior was when our ship was stolen because oh, I really did not know what we were supposed to do. <laughs> because, you well, know, we, well, there was another ship out there, but I didn't know, you know if we fly it, if it was even working. So I, when the station gets blown open and, and no nine and company take off, I was just kind of like, I don't know where we're going to go from here. <laughs> oh, yeah, so Stephen, they uh, no line took their ship instead of taking the shuttle back. That seems like something she'd do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I I came up with that in uh, as you might 
say like a 4 a.m. Um, hour. Yeah. Where I was like, yeah, why would she take the shuttle if she knew that their ship was just parked like right there? Right. Um, yeah. So, so we, we had some fun there. Yeah, my it, it oh, was yeah. so much fun kind of getting into the head of Nil Nine just because, mm-hmm. you know, just logically cold, calculated, ruthless. Um, and those kind of characters just, you know, thrill the hell out of me. They're, they're fun to write. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like characters with, you know, sort of deep human flaws and, and, um, you know, and, and motivations that are, 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 are bred out of, you know, fear and anger and hate. I, I write a lot of, um, <laughs> and, and just, you know, and oddballs and stuff like that. And one of the, the, the fun parts about writing this adventure was, was coming up with all of those kind of villainous personalities and what motivated them, um, mm-hmm. you know, is, is sort of uh, nihilistic as possible. Um, yeah. Like I said, it was like I, a real I, I, rogues gallery of, uh, yeah. of super villains that they, yeah. they got to fight. I just didn't want stormtroopers, right? Chaos, yeah. chaos deserves individuality. Well, and, and chaos deserves uh, individuality is an amazing <laughs> phrase. I love that. Yeah, no, you're not getting a lot of uh, conformists. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Cosmic Crit Season 2, our tagline will be chaos deserves individuality. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm writing it down. We're, we'll, we'll give you a credit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's... I love that. Oh. Um, let, well, let's wrap it up there. Uh, thank Ty- you. Tyler uh, didn't get to share his moment. Well, so, Tyler didn't go fast enough, did he? <laughs> you no, I let everybody else speak. I was well, going to talk about Tyler. Story. What's your moment? My moment. My moment is the greatest uh, NPC that's appeared in this AP, and that's Delrog the Butcher. Oh, that guy's just a you oh, know, destructive. Is it Del Dreg? Did I mispronounce? Del Dreg. Yeah, that's that's how Del I pronounce it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Del Dreg the Butcher. Yeah, that guy. Very few times <laughs> do you do you like, you know, when a GM goes into a really nutty character and you see some really weird character art that you're about to have a, a fun uh, combat experience in our particular game. Uh, one of our PCs, played by Miles, t- tried to offer him uh, a, a flask of whiskey, and I think he responded with a, a shot to the face. <laughs> but, uh, uh, he yeah, said, I could take the whiskey when you're dead. He That's exactly what he said. <laughs> yeah, yeah so great, yeah, too bad. Too bad he got critted to death. Oh. Yeah, but Deldrag, uh, what was you talk? You're talking a little bit about giving him deep character flaws. What was what were your what was the flaw for Deldrag that you kind of focused on? Uh, so basically, Deldrag is a mix of all of those crazy sort of white dwarf, you know, in power, you know, early 40k dwarves and power armor sort of thing. I was all like, yeah, I need to have one of those. His his character flaw is just he's just kind of a, a walking murderous hard on in 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 power yeah. armor. Like, mm. uh, his, you know, his, his only real flaw is he just doesn't care. Yeah. He's just like, I like to watch things burn. Uh, and I like to do the burning. <laughs> yeah. More of the true anarchist type, you know, just yeah. like, I don't, I don't, yeah. Everything just should go away. He's sort of the Achilles of the group. You gotcha. know, he's, he, he's the guy at the, the end that, you know, everybody's like, I can't believe you did that. Uh, uh, <laughs> Dragon, he goes, and that's why they will not remember your name. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> Steals your flask. 
Right. Uh, and so I great. like the Jubsnuff. And that's all our favorite moments. The, the, <laughs> the Jubsnuff was fun because the Jubsnuff was one okay. of those things that I really didn't have a lot. Of, they're like, okay, here's the art description of this giant thing um, mm-hmm. uh, on the cover. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be on the like, cover. Make, it, make, make a fight happen. <laughs> right. Make a fight happen. And, um, and so, and I think one of the things they cut out is, so I came up with the, this job snuff. I'm like, okay, so basically you had these manicured worlds forever and then a whole civilization kind of leaves it. And what does evolution do to that? And so I, I, I was like, well, you know, this thing that could, could have been a cow becomes this murderous killing beast over millennium of having to survive on a planet i'm like oh, okay that's fun that's cool and i was reading a lot of mm-hmm. sort of evolutionary theory at the time um Much and like uh, earth cows will once we we leave right. yeah. they're you know their horns are going to grow and they're going to you know grow fangs and who and start flying and, and murdering people um yep. They already have multiple stomachs, so they will develop multiple mouths to feed them. Yeah, so so I just I have to share with you. I almost died in real life playing this AP because we went from the Jubsnuth with two mouths to the Atrocyte with three, (laughs) (laughs) and one of my compatriots decided to call them the Cavity Club, and that was me. Cavity kids. I I I will always remember that as the time that I almost choked laughing playing uh, an RPG. I think uh, one of the things that they they did cut out. I have to sort of sort of do it. Is (laughs) is when you first find the desperate hunger, they're Mm -hmm. actually torturing one of the young of the Jubsnuth, and that's why she's like so murderous at that point. Mm. Oh and yeah. Every, yeah, and whatnot. And I think they were like, we can't have people, you know, being cruel to animals. I'm like, they're fake animals, right? So <laughs> we did. Yeah. We did uh, find that was, that was yeah. That we, happened to us. Yeah, we did find the the that they had already killed some of the young ones. So oh, okay, yeah. all right. So that's that's probably yeah. what they did. It, I so. think that I think that was implied in and not shown in, in yeah. the EP. But I was just like, yeah, why not show it? Then like this is yeah. as a kind of a preview of like oh well the cultists were able to do this so what could they do to you guys you know yeah exactly yeah. so you know yeah. because I wanted these people like your first interaction with them it's like well those jerks like they're oh my god that's terrible they're yeah. they're they're sticking that cattle prod where that's all. <laughs> and, you know and and <laughs> to motivate players even more to to decide yeah these people are worthy of murder. Yeah. That was exactly our that was exactly our reaction. We found we found him, you know, kicking some poor alien, and we were like, "All right, well, it, death is on the menu." Because well, we're not right. that slot well, at all. That wasn't a baby Jubsnuth, as far as we know. But no. maybe Zodi is a baby Jubsnuth. Maybe Zodi is a baby Jubsnuth, <laughs> which is going to be very. Uh, I mean, which is going to be great for us when she grows up, and it's like, well, now we have a trained Jubsnuth. So <laughs> that's that's that's, that's a thing. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, let, let's for real wrap it up there. <laughs> like I said, we could talk Sounds about good. this AP all night long, but just want to say thank you again, Stephen, for joining us, answering some of these questions. Yes, thank uh, you. Giving us oh, some info, thanks. some background info. We we love it so much, we can't get enough, and we obviously have really enjoyed book five. Excellent. This AP. Yeah. Um, and that's going to do it for us on this Crip Bit. Thank you, Drew, Miles, and Tyler for being here with me as well. Thank you. Oh, thank, thanks to everybody. All right. And have a great night, everybody. Goodbye. Woo. Night.